Amen. Amen. Thank you all. We're going to begin in Acts 22 tonight and then flow into Acts 23. I want to pick it up at the end of Acts 22. While you're finding that, you know, we obviously as Christians should celebrate the birth and coming of our Lord Jesus every day. But we have a chance to really focus and celebrate the coming and birth of our Lord on Christmas Eve this year. So just encouraging everybody at the Oasis to come out to one of those two services at 9 or 11. And let's come ready to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus. In light of that also, I just want to make this announcement. I'll make it again on Sunday. There will be child care at the 9 a.m. service, but not child care at the 11, okay? So obviously that's especially important and relevant to all parents uh, of children in our children's And they've been announcing that. They've been letting parents know that. But uh, Crystal asked if I could make that announcement in the next couple of services. So child care at 9, but not child care at 11, so that those folks can come in and participate in our 11 o'clock Christmas Eve service as well. And then again, not only put on your calendar January the 3rd, but as I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, we want to start out this year in the house of God. So January the 7th. Let's make this the year that we really commit ourselves to our faithfulness to the house of God and start out our year on January the 7th in God's house. We obviously should depend upon the Lord each and every day. But there are times in our life, there are seasons in our life where we particularly lean into him and need to lean hard into him because of the circumstances that we are going through. And in those seasons, in those circumstances, we're human. We need a lot of encouragement and a lot of assurance as we go through those circumstances to remain standing. And that's what we're going to see happen with the Apostle Paul tonight. Yes, he was a great man, but he was still a man, just like you and I. He had the same struggles, the same fears, the same doubts, all of that that we do. And he needed the same encouragement and reassurance at this time in his life, just as we do. So we can identify, if you will, to some degree with Paul here in this passage, because all of us have went through those times in our life where we particularly needed to lean hard into God. And we didn't know what the next day was going to bring, what the next hour was going to bring, maybe even what the next minute was going to bring. So put yourself in Paul's shoes tonight. Paul is going to take a stand for God, but he's going to find out that God is standing with him. At the end of chapter 22, in fact, I'm just going to pick it up in verse 21, Paul is speaking to this big audience in Jerusalem, thousands of people. And he's basically recounting his conversion. 
and also his calling. He is sharing with these people what God has called him to. And things are going pretty swimmingly until one word in verse 21. And that's when Paul says, I will send you, this is a message from God to him, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Oh, there it is. And that sets the Jewish audience off. Interesting, isn't it? It's not that Paul told the Jews that they were being replaced by the Gentiles. He never says that. All he says is that God in his plan is now going to, as Paul says in Romans, graft in the Gentiles and make them part of what he's doing. So it's not like the Jews somehow lose out, but they can't stand the fact that they're not the only ones in God's plan. A lot of jealousy, I guess, and envy, even when it comes to the plan of God, but it is a reminder to us that God loves the world. Every person in the world, every person in every nation, because they are all creations of God made in his image, and he came to die for every one of them. So when he gets to Gentiles, the crowd, verse 22, was listening to him until he said this. Then they basically say, away with this man, he should not even be allowed to live. Paul now has his life in danger. And if the Romans would have not imprisoned him, the Jews would have killed him. We'll get to that a little bit later. Notice the commanding officer in verse 24 orders Paul to be brought back to the barracks so that he can be interrogated. Oh, and they're going to beat him with a lash trying to get answers out of him. Our modern components of warfare and torture and all of that to get information out of people, that's nothing new. Notice here, they were going to try to beat answers out of Paul until he gave them what they wanted. When they stretched out, the Bible says, the lash, Paul said, is it legal for you to lash a man, verse 25, who is a Roman citizen without a proper trial? Paul plays the Roman citizenship card. Listen, one of the things that this reminds us of is that God never asks his people to suffer for suffering's sake. If there's a way out of suffering, then do it. Now, sometimes there's not. But it's not like God takes pleasure in just our suffering for no reason. And Paul knew that his Roman citizenship would stop things where they're headed right there. What I want to point out to us tonight is that Paul played the Roman citizenship card, and there was nothing wrong with that. But let's not forget, according to Philippians 3.20, that our citizenship is in heaven. If you are a believer tonight, you are a citizen 
of heaven. Now, not when you get there, you are already, from God's perspective, a citizen of heaven. And just like Roman citizenship had responsibilities, but also obviously privileges, we must realize that our citizenship as heavenly citizens have both responsibilities and privileges. Are we living up to the responsibility as a heavenly citizen, and are we taking advantage in a right way of the privileges of our heavenly citizenship? When the centurion heard this in verse 26, I'm just using my, he was freaking out. Oh my goodness, we're going to be in big trouble. In fact, the commanding officer in verse 26, Seven came and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he replied, yeah. And the commanding officer answered, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money, but I was even born a citizen, Paul replied. I was thinking to myself, one had to buy his Roman citizenship. You and I are heavenly citizens by grace through faith. We didn't have to buy it. All we have to do to become a citizen of heaven is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. Think about it. The privilege that we have of being heavenly citizens. Well, they said, we've, we've got to do things now according to Roman law. So the Roman official that was in charge, he commanded Paul to be brought down and have him stand before the Sanhedrin in Israel, of Israel. Remember, this was 72 men who formed sort of the ruling body of Israel. To compare it, it would be like, think of you being called before the Senate. And you had to go to Washington, D.C., and you had to stand before all the senators in our country. And by the way, to parallel it with Paul here, all of those senators would be staring you down because not one of them would be on your side. Every last one of them would be against you as you were brought into that chamber. You would be one against all of them. Have you ever been in that position in your life where you felt like you were standing alone and it was you against the world, so to speak, and that your life was on the line? That's where Paul is. But notice now, beginning in verse Chapter 23, what happens here? First of all, we see that Paul looked directly at the council. It meant he was able to look them straight in the eye. That's important. It's not just what he's going to say in a minute. It's his body language and his posture even before he says something. You, you and I all know that there's something about when someone can look you in the eye. He wasn't intimidated. 
by all of these men staring him down, trying to intimidate him and cause him to back up. He stood his ground. Paul is a great example here of one who had learned to deny himself to take up his cross daily and follow the Lord no matter what. And he was standing before these men, and he was able to look them right in the eye. That meant that he was confident and sure and certain about the things that he believed because his life was on the line for it. Are you and I so certain, so sure, so confident in what we believe that if our life was required because of it, we would still stand and take a stand? Do we believe in it that much that we would give everything to make our stand for Jesus Christ and our faith in him? That's what Paul's doing here. Notice what he says. Brothers, I have lived my life with a clear conscience before God to this day. That's important. That's why he can look them in the eye. Paul's not claiming sinlessness. He's not claiming perfection. Listen, conscience does not make the standards. Conscience does not even set the standard. All conscience does is apply the standard. And what Paul is basically saying is that he always lived his life in conformity and consistency to what he believed. He was not a hypocrite. And so he could stand before them today with a clear conscience. How powerful is a clear conscience before God? He is carrying no guilt no shame as he stands before these men. At that time, the high priest, Ananias, ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Now, let me say at this point, that was unlawful. According to Jewish law, that was unlawful even for the high priest to order Paul to be struck at this point. He hasn't even had a hearing yet. He just doesn't like the look Paul's giving him. And Paul says, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. By the way, this phrase, whitewashed wall, speaks of one who tries to conceal who they really are through externals. Their internals are messed up. So they try to compensate very heavily by whitewashing and painting the outside to make it look as good as possible. That was true of most of the Pharisees in Jesus' day and Paul's day. That was why Jesus had such a problem with the religious leaders. Because... They were whitewashed walls. They, they looked good on the outside, but their heart was corrupt and evil and wicked. And God is always more concerned 
with what's going on on the inside. Because if the inside is good, the outside will follow. But you cannot change the inside from the outside. And, and Ananias, then even the high priest, stands in contrast to the apostle Paul. Because the reason he could stare at them and look them directly in the eye and make a bold statement that he stood before them with a clear conscience is because he was not a hypocrite. Because his life outwardly was reflecting his heart and his spirit and his soul inwardly. God wants us to live in conformity to what we say we believe and to be consistent. That will bring about to a great measure, a clear conscience to where we're not living one way but saying we're living another way or we say we live one way and all of this but our life reflects differently. That's where our conscience will begin to hiccup. Those standing near, verse 4, says to Paul, do you dare insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, I did not realize, brothers, that he was the high priest. Because the law says you should not speak evil about a ruler of your people. Why did Paul not recognize Ananias? A couple reasons. One, Paul's eyesight. Two, Ananias was not dressed in his formal pharisaical robes looked like everyone else. It could be, too, that Paul's saying, well, you're not acting like the high priest. Because God's high priest would not have ordered me to be struck on the mouth. Then verse 6, Paul noticed that part of them were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. So he's using his insight to basically now cause a division between those that he's standing before. Because he knows that the Sadducees do not believe in resurrection. So notice, he says, I'm on trial, verse 6, in the hope of the resurrection of the dead. You and I, hopefully, believe in the resurrection of the dead. That we live every day in confident expectation that when these bodies go into the ground or are cremated or whatever, that one day God is going to resurrect and put back together and make glorified these mortal bodies. And if God can create the universe out of nothing, then he has no problem putting the molecules back together again. Are we living in hope of the resurrection? Now, in verse 10, this argument between the Sadducees and the Pharisees becomes so great that all of a sudden, Paul's hearing sort of is now on the back burner. Paul, with his divine insight and wisdom, has actually caused those that he's standing before to be fighting so much amongst themselves that it's sort of like he sees God's hand in all of this. 
And then even further, notice when the argument, verse 10, became so great, the commanding officer feared that they would tear Paul to pieces. He ordered a detachment to go down, take him away from there by force, and bring him into the barracks. What you are seeing there is not just a Roman official taking charge and protecting Paul. You are seeing the providential hand of God protecting Paul and using the Roman official. You and I need to remember that. God is the Lord of hosts. He can use anyone or anything to accomplish his will. And notice here, he's using Roman officials to protect Paul from his own people, the Jews. By the way, I love this, that the words take him away in verse 10 are the exact same Greek word that is used in 1 Thessalonians 4 to speak of the rapture. These words literally mean to seize and snatch away from imminent danger. Harpazo is the Greek word. Paul was in danger. Things were closing in around him. He was going to be torn apart if they let it go. And all of a sudden, it's like God's hand uses this Roman official to come and literally snatch him away. I want you to keep that in mind because that's exactly what God's going to do to Christians who are alive when Jesus comes. The world's going to continue to get worse and worse and close around Christians, and God's going to say, okay, that's it, enough, boom. I'm coming down, I'm rescuing them all, I'm taking them to myself and pulling them out of there in an instant. Then notice verse 11. This is the key verse for me in the entire passage tonight. Why? Because God, it's shown here, God knows what Paul's going through. He is intimately acquainted with the details of Paul's life just like he's intimately acquainted with our lives and the details of our life. He knows that Paul's been standing before hostile crowds in the last 24 hours, both the crowd in Jerusalem and then the Sanhedrin. He knows that the crowd in Jerusalem wanted to kill Paul. He knows that the Sanhedrin wanted to tear Paul apart. He knows that the high priest ordered him to be slapped. God has seen and heard it all, and God knows as strong a Christian as Paul is, Paul's still a human being, and Paul, just like us, needs that encouragement and reassurance when we're going through those times where we're being attacked and where there's a target on our chest and where we feel like everyone and everything is coming against us and the winds of adversity are blowing hard against us and the Lord knows exactly when and where and how to come and encourage his people. So I thought it was so appropriate that the last song we sang tonight before the message was Take Heart because that's exactly what God wants Paul to do here. Notice, first of all, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul. Now, God is always with his people. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then, right before he ascended, he told his followers, 
I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So, practically speaking, Jesus is always with us. But this word near, or these words stood near, speak about sort of a special visitation from God, a special manifestation of his presence in a tangible way where Paul felt in a very profound way the presence of God. God does that with us. There are days that that I live on this earth that if I didn't have those visits from God that day, that week, that month, that year, I don't know what I'd do. Being able to feel in a tangible way that my God is with me. Yes, I know he's always there, but even God knows sometimes I need to give Jeff a hug. Sometimes God, Jeff needs a God hug. Yes, he knows he, I love him, but sometimes he needs to feel it. And our God comes down to that level. Our God is so good. I want you to know tonight that whether you're going through a really difficult time or not, the Lord stands near you. He's always there. But if you really need to feel him, he'll be there. Because he knows exactly what you're feeling and what you're going through at every moment. And then notice the word of the Lord. As he was standing near to Paul, he says, have courage. These words mean that God was bolstering Paul, encouraging him, listen, to stay focused on his mission in the face of trials and testing. Let me repeat that, because God will say the same thing to us when we need this reassurance and this encouragement. He's going to say to us, have courage. He doesn't say, I'm going to make the trials and the testing go away necessarily. What he is saying to us at that time is, stay focused on your mission, on what I have called you to in the face of what you're going through. Because God knows. Sometimes when things get hard, we let go and we don't stay with it because the, the consequences and the circumstances are getting too dicey and, and we want relief. And so we, you know, take a step back and God says, no, continue to stand for me. In a sense, keep your hand on the wheel and keep going in the direction I'm leading you to. Have courage. I'm near. I'm with you. Because he says, just as you testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So keep your finger there and go over to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's so cool that this passage in 2 Timothy 4, beginning at verse 16, is actually Paul's comment about what we were just reading that happened to him in Acts chapter 23. Okay? 
So notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, beginning at verse 16. At my first defense, no one appeared in my support. Instead, they all deserted me. He was all alone. May they not be held accountable for it. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Do not lay their sin or charge them with their sin. Same thing as Stephen said, Lord, forgive them. But then notice verse 17. But even though no one human being stood with Paul, the Lord stood by me. I love that. It means he was right beside of me to help me. And while he was there, guess what? God's presence always strengthens his people. Every time you and I experience the presence of God, we will be strengthened. We will be empowered. We will be made stronger through the presence of God. That's why I love the other song that Nicole chose tonight. Your presence is my greatest weapon. Because when God's presence is so real to us, we will be stronger through his presence. And why does he want to strengthen us? So that through me the message would be fully proclaimed for all the Gentiles to hear. And so I was delivered from the lion's mouth. I don't believe he was talking about a literal lion there. I think he was talking about human lions. But then don't miss verse 18. Because of the Lord's encouragement and reassurance to Paul, Paul then had his hope also built up. And he said, oh, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow. How could he be so confident that the Lord would do this for him? Because he has seen the hand, the providential hand of the Lord with him throughout his ordeal and he even felt a divine visitation from God where God came and stood near him and strengthened him. And so Paul is realizing that even though his life at this point is not easy and it is full of challenges and difficulties, that God is going to give him the strength and the grace to be able to go through it all. Now, I want to direct your attention to the word deliver in verse 18. And especially for those of you that have ever served our country in the armed services, this will, I think, especially pique your interest. This word deliver was actually used most of all by the military because it pictured a wounded soldier lying on a battlefield and another soldier 
putting their life on the line, running to the aid of the wounded soldier, picking them up on the battlefield and carrying them to safety. And Paul is saying, that's our God. That our God, even when we're wounded on the battlefield, will come and draw us to himself because that's another meaning of this word deliver. Before, obviously, you can carry someone off the battlefield, you've got to pick them up and you've got to draw them to yourself. And that's a beautiful picture of our God and his deliverance. How does he deliver? By picking us up and drawing us into himself and then carrying us to safety. That's why Paul knew that he was fully secure and would be brought safely into the heavenly kingdom and that nothing was going to thwart God's plan and purpose for the apostle Paul any more than nothing or no one is going to thwart God's purpose and plan for your life and my life. Because our God is the ultimate deliverer. And even if we get wounded on the battlefield of life, God has the ability has the love for us, has the care for us, has the concern for us to come onto the battlefield, pick us up, pull us to himself, and carry us to safety. I want you to picture from verse 18 of 2 Timothy 4 the fact that we are in Christ and that Christ, according to the word of God, is the ark of God. You know the story of Noah? God says to Noah, you get people on the ark, and even though I'm going to flood the world and cause a tremendous storm to come, that you'll be safe in that ark, and that I will bring you safely through the flood if you trust in the ark. Jesus is our ark. And God is saying to us, when you get on the ark of Jesus Christ, you will be brought safely through every storm of life. God wants us to be encouraged by that. Again, it's not that God's going to prevent storms and trials and tribulations from coming but God wants us as his people to have the faith and the confidence and the trust and the belief in him to know that he can get us safely through. Amen. And that even if we are wounded in some way, he's going to run onto that battlefield. He's going to pick us up. He's going to pull us to himself and he's going to carry us to safety. You all in the armed services, especially certain parts of it. No, no one left behind. Well, guess what? That's God's motto, too. There will be no one of my people left behind. That's why Paul could say, he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What a God. Paul needed his God. And God knew Paul needed him. And God showed up 
when Paul needed it. God strengthened Paul when Paul needed his strength. God assured Paul when Paul needed assurance. And God will do the same for us. Because he loves us and cares about us just as much as he did the apostle Paul. So let's end this year in victory. Knowing that our God can get us through everything that we'll ever face in this life. Father, thank you for being a God that, Lord, we can't even qualify or quantify what kind of God you are. You're amazing. You're good. You're great. You're wonderful. You're loving. You're caring. God, you're with us every step of the way, even on the battlefield especially on the battlefield. God, I pray that we would take our stand when we are given opportunity and realize, Lord, that if we stand up for you, you will certainly stand up for us. God, would you be near us tonight? May we truly, tangibly, Feel your presence with us in this season. We need you, God. And God, would you strengthen us as only you can do, giving us that supernatural might and power and strength. May you, God, encourage us, enable us, and energize us to put on our Lord Jesus Christ every day so that we can go out into the world, even onto the battlefield, and feel completely secure because we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we are in the ark of God that will bring us safe, safe into your heavenly kingdom, just like Paul. God, would you go with us? Take us all home safely. Give us a good night's rest tonight, Lord, so that we can wake up tomorrow ready to face another day to bring glory and honor to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We'll see you next year.